Well, we're going to continue our series, Truths That Transform, today, and we're going to be looking at Romans 3, verse 21 to 26. If you want to open that up uh, in your Bible, Romans 3, verse 21. Now, if this is your first time with us, we've been going through this series, the slide was just up there, called Truths That Transform. And we want to look at these key truths that we find in the Bible that should radically change us. It shouldn't leave us just as we are if we understand them rightly and by faith accept them and embrace them. And this morning we're going to look, as you've probably heard already, at the truth of justification. And we're going to start off in Romans 3, 21 to 26. We're not going to jump around too much. Our main passage is Romans 3. So I'm going to read from verse 21 for us, and I'm reading from the ESV. It'll be up on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. Uh, But if you do have one, please have it open in front of you. Romans 3 verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, you are just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And we pray that we would understand that this morning. It seems that we cannot justify ourselves, but you are the one that needs to justify us. And in doing so, you are completely just. Help us, Lord, as we wrestle with this topic May you give us clarity and understanding, and above all, as our series says, would you transform us through this? Especially as many of us here would have been in church for many years, may we not switch off right now and think we understand this, but may we come humbly and hear from you again that you might shape us and lead us and do your great and grand purposes through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you heard just this past week about Hayden Burbank and Mark Babbage? Have you heard of them? The other day I turned the radio on in my car, which I don't do very often, I have to say, uh, and heard about these two men. They are two Melbourne men who are currently serving three-month jail sentences. Why is that? Well, they broke a lot of WA COVID rules and falsified documents to come from Melbourne Uh, to Perth to watch their team play in the recent AFL Grand Final here in Perth. And so they they flew in from Darwin to Perth, right, to enter WA. And and as you do, you have to apply to come in. But they never mentioned that they're from Melbourne, even though there'd just been this big COVID outbreak over there. And then they falsified driver's licenses and bank statements so that the WA government think that they're from Darwin, right? They're Darwin residents. And so they got caught out. (laughs) Someone spotted photos of them as they were in the winning change rooms afterwards, and they were caught in the end having a nice holiday down south. 
court things, um, you know, for that holiday to be cut short. Now, imagine you did this, right? And just this past week, you were standing before the judge in the court. How would you justify those actions? What would you say to be declared innocent and not guilty? Mr. Babbage's lawyer said that his footy team hadn't been in the grand final for many years, decades in fact, you know, so it was, you know, perfectly normal for him to do these things uh, because he wanted to see them in a grand final. Uh, The other guy, Mr. Burbank, well, he was struggling with mental health issues as a result of all the lockdowns in Melbourne, according to his lawyer. And he had to shut his restaurant. And, you know, like, given all the mess and everything and the state of mind that he was in, well, it makes perfect sense that he would make all these bad decisions. And so he's perfectly justified in doing them all. Now, let's forget about these men for a second, right, and trying to put ourselves in their shoes. Let's think about something a bit more realistic. How will we justify our own thoughts and actions and words before the judge of the universe? One day we will stand before the judgment seat of God Almighty and we will need to give an account of our lives. And I tell you what, on that day, I think people are probably going to laugh at us at some of the things that we've done and think, what were they thinking? Now, that's what we're told here in Romans chapter 2 and many other places in the Bible, that one day we will stand before God's judgment seat. Look at what Paul says, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Will you be able to justify yourself and be declared innocent by him on that great and awesome day? Now, I hope you can answer that question with confidence after today because we're looking at the truth of justification. Now, justification is a courtroom term, which you probably noticed already as I mentioned a a courtroom uh, illustration at the beginning. It's a legal declaration that someone is not guilty but innocent. And Christian justification is about God judging our lives and declaring us innocent and right with Him worthy to spend eternity with Him in joy and fullness of life. And if you're anything like me, you should think right now, well, how does that happen? Is that even possible that I could stand before God innocent? Well, let's dig into our passage and see. The first thing that I want us to see about justification, and particularly from our passage, is that all people need justification from God. The reason why all people need justification from God is because we cannot do it ourselves. In and of ourselves, we are not innocent and we are not right with our Creator. Anyone with just a hint of honest self-reflection should be able to acknowledge that. And it's very clear in our passage too. Have a look at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is everyone that's ever lived on this planet, except for Jesus. There's no exception other than Him. Every single human being have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's not just atheists. It's also people who believe in God. What we see early in Romans, actually, is that even those who don't believe in God or know Him uh, and, and know what He expects of them are sinners. They might not know God's law, this is how it works, but they are a law unto themselves. 
You see, every person has a set of rules and beliefs, values that they live by that they believe make a good person. You simply have to ask them, right? You just have to say, hey, look, if heaven is real, do you think that you'll be let in there one day? And whatever answer they give will show you what are the things that they live by that they think make uh, up to be a good person. You know, they might say things like, yeah, of course I will. You know, I've never killed someone. Of, of course I will. You know, I've never cheated on my partner. Of course I will. I'm hardworking and honest. And those things expose what are the things they live by. Uh, all unbelievers will have a set of life rules they live by, not necessarily to please God, but they would believe that if he was real, their obedience to their own rules would get them into heaven. The problem is, people don't even live up to their own rules, <laughs> right? It might be something simple as this, okay? And I think I've certainly had this. You know, good people drive slow in the slow lane on the left, and, and bad people drive slow in the fast lane on the right. You know, it might be something like that. Uh, you know, it's simple things like that. You know, and, and people would shout and scream and go off their heads if someone dared to drive slow in the fast lane. You know, it's just what evil person would do something like that? But they would break their own laws when it suited them. And they would justify it very easily. Oh, I was driving slow in the fast lane. Oh, man, it's been a, it's been a big day, okay? You know, justified. Oh, I was driving slow. Well, it is the weekend, okay? You know, take it easy. Uh, there'd be all sorts of things like that. And so... We break our own rules. Parents realize this a lot, you know, because we have a bunch of rules that we hope would shape our children, and we break them a lot, often. (laughs) Um, But you also get more serious examples, like murdering. Many people would say that murdering is not right. Most of them, the first thing would say, would you go to heaven? Yeah, I've never murdered anyone, unlike Hitler, you know. He was pretty bad. Uh, But... Somehow they've got to justify things. Well, what about, you believe in abortion? Oh, how does that work? Oh, oh, but hey, hey, someone's not a real person until they can think for themselves, you see? Or, you know, and so all of a sudden, people in the womb and maybe even old folk with dementia and things like that, well, their existence can be ended. It's, and it's not murder. You see how people justify themselves, break their own rules? But one day, as God judges them, their consciences will testify against them. How often they went against their own rules. This is what we see in Romans 2.15. As, as God judges on that great day, our consciences will pop out and witness against us. It will either accuse us in some cases because we went against our own rules. And in some cases, it will excuse us because we were obedient to the rules that we made up. You see, all unbelievers were a law to themselves as sinners as they failed to uphold their own laws. And it's not just about being lawbreakers. It's about falling short of the glory of God, as we see at the end of verse 23, which I think might even be worse. This, again, is explained earlier in Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32. You see, falling short of the glory of God is not about failing to meet His standards, as it might seem like as you initially read it, it's about failing to give him glory and honor and recognition for his works as he deserves and instead giving it to something or someone else. 
Um, it, he's, as we see in Romans, his eternal power and divine, divine nature can be seen in creation. But instead, we give the credit to the Big Bang and evolution and Mother Nature, things like that. We end up acknowledging fate and chance and luck instead of God. And so we rob God of the glory that is rightfully His. What a scary thought. You know plagiarism, right? Plagiarism is a bad thing because you take someone else's work and you give the credit to another person. Often when you do plagiarism, you give the credit to yourself. All uni students will be able to tell you that their assignments are scanned for plagiarism because it is essentially stealing. But we commit the ultimate plagiarism when we take God's work and give credit to something else. Instead of to the Creator, but to creatures and created things. And so we are in big trouble. Now you might sit here as a, as a, as a believer and think, whoa, those unbelievers, gee, they're horrible sinners and you know, robbing God of His glory? They're in trouble. But hold on. Because Romans 2 goes on to show how those who believe in God who knows his law, who tries to keep his law and even teaches it to other people because they think it's so great, well, they're also sinners who fall short of the glory of God. That's what our passage says, right? There is no distinction between the believer and the unbeliever for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, just because uh, we know God's standards and will doesn't mean we do them. As a teacher that teaches the Bible often, I know this full well. And I remember this one time I was doing a youth talk when I was still in college, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Just everything that I was encouraging the youth that night to do and stay away from or whatever it might have been, I just realized, man, I've been horrible at doing this. And so it just hits you. And now even as I preach, much of the examples and illustrations and application are often from my own sinful heart and from our own sinful life. And so believers know better, but we still fail at living up to God's standards. And in fact, in some way, we're worse off. <laughs> we're in more trouble because we know better. That's what Jesus says. Have a look at Luke 12, verse 48. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. That's talking about unbelievers, people who don't know what's expected. But everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. See, none of us will stand innocent before God one day, because we have all sinned, and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And so that means that all people need justification from God. We cannot do it by ourselves. We have nothing to justify ourselves. If we are to stand sinless and guiltless before God one day, it'll need to come from beyond us, from outside of us. And that's exactly what God provides for us. This is good news. Here's the second point that I want us to see about justification, that God offers justification to all, just like all have sinned, through Jesus. You see, the righteous lives that God expects of us that we cannot produce God has made known and we can obtain it. Have a look there at verse 21. But now, there's a now, there's a time in history where something changed, where things were different. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. 
although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You see, in Jesus, the righteousness of God has been revealed and it's, and it's got nothing to do with obeying God's law. God's law and, and all of the Old Testament testify to it and actually speaks about Jesus and points to the righteousness that can be found in Jesus. And, and the fact that actually the Old Testament points to Jesus bears witness to Jesus' place in a, in a bigger and much older story of God's dealings with humanity. You know, it's not like some religions that only started in the 600s after Jesus but this has been a long-going thing. You see, the righteousness of God that can be received in faith uh, through Jesus is actually all, is not a new plan. It has always been the plan. Now, how does this plan work? We'll have a look at the answer there in verses 24 to 25. Um, for all have sinned... Oh, am I in the right place? Uh, yes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. You see, we are justified by God, not by ourselves. That is not an active verb. It's something that's being done to us. God justifies us. We cannot do anything that makes us stand innocent before God. It's impossible. And God knows you cannot live a righteous life that is acceptable to Him. And he knows that you're unrighteous and do many things that's unacceptable to him. But instead of him turning his back on you and just letting us be, he actually gives us what, uh, um, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us grace. You see, God justifies us by his grace. Grace is when someone does something good to you that you do not deserve. Grace is having good done to you by God, even though you don't deserve it. And justification is God's grace to us so that no Christian can ever boast in their salvation and, and should never be filled with pride because, because we're saved by grace. We cannot look down on other people either who are not yet saved because it's grace. You see, no one that's been justified by God deserved it. It was purely grace. Now, justification is not just grace. It's also a gift, and I think I've, I've sometimes confused the two. And here, it, it struck me that it is grace and a gift. Why does Paul mention both if they're the same? Well, the reality is I got it wrong. They're not exactly the same. Uh, it was also a gift. In other words, it's free. You can't buy it. We all know that there are things in life that money cannot buy, right? Things like honor and trust and respect. Well, justification by God cannot be bought either. It's a gift that you have to receive. And listen to this. If you try and earn it, you actually forfeit it. If you try and do works to attain the justification that can only be given to you by Jesus, you forfeit it. Imagine, imagine this, right? So every time someone bought you a gift, and for, for the older guys, we might have to think back, because when you get older, people stop buying you gifts, right? They think it's just for children. But every time, imagine every time you got a gift, um, as someone gives it to you, you think, oh, this is great. Hey, how, much, how much was that? Let me just get my wallet. 110? Oh, here you go. Just imagine every gift you ever got, you asked for what the price was, and you paid the person back for the gift. As soon as you do that, it's no longer a gift, is it? 
It's now your due because you paid for it. Now, God's declaration of your innocence and right standing before him is a gift. And if you try and earn it, he will withdraw that gift because it's no longer a gift. And you're robbing him of his glory again, actually, because he wants to give it to you. He wants to be gracious. And if you try and pay for it, well, actually, you're robbing him of his glory again. Now, you either humble yourself and you take the gift or you continue in pride and arrogance and you try and work for your, for your own justification. Those are the only two options before us. Now, a question as we consider receiving this gift would have to be, how can God declare me innocent when I know, and He knows, and everyone else knows, especially those closest to me, that I'm not innocent? I'm guilty. Well, have a look at the second half of verse 24. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, God redeems us through Jesus' death on the cross. To redeem someone is to make a payment for a debt. I guess if someone uh, is a guarantor, you know, like lots of parents become guarantors. I don't know about lots. My parents never did this with us. But I did think of it. Uh, when, when, when kids... Uh, who are adults, maybe they get married and they want to get a mortgage for a house. Uh, and if things are a bit tight and the bank says, oh, we're not so sure, then you go to mom and dad and you say, hey, will you be a guarantor for us? And that says to the bank, hey, if, if they can't pay the debt, we'll pay for it, okay? But, and I guess if that ever did happen, then they would essentially say to the parents, we are happy to be redeemers if push comes to shove. If, if my children can't pay the debt, I will pay for it. That is redemption. And that is what God does for us. Now, because we're all sinners and rob God of His glory, we have a debt to pay. All our wrongs that we have done have put us in the red. All our robbing needs to be paid back. And the payment God requires is our lives. Because you see, the reality is we have nothing to give Him. Because everything we have are already His. He gave it to us in the first place. And so he, does, he requires our lives, the lives that God gave us to enjoy Him and to honor Him, the lives that we used otherwise, He now demands as payment for our wrongs. But instead, He sends Jesus to redeem us and to pay that payment. It's good news. When Jesus died on the cross, He died to death that I should have died, that you should have died. And his blood that was poured out in death was the costly price to cover our debt. And that's how God declares us innocent in his sight before his judgment seat. Because Jesus was condemned in our place. It was very costly to God to justify you and me. And I want to quickly pause and share a wonderful truth about justification that's not in our passage. Uh, and we don't always understand it, I think. But it's a truth that's scattered throughout the New Testament and it comes up a bit later in Romans. Have a look here at Romans 4 verse 5. And to the one who does not work, so this is the guy that says, I'm not going to try and earn this salvation, but who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. What we see here is that justification is not only about being redeemed, you know, so having our debt and its consequences of our sin dealt with. But on top of that, we also receive Jesus' righteousness. 
Jesus' righteousness is counted to us. And this is where Jesus doesn't simply fulfill the Old Testament, but he just blows it to pieces and he surpasses it greatly. You see, lambs were sacrificed according to the law to remove the guilt of sin, just like Jesus died in our place. A perfect lamb died in your place like Jesus died in our place. But you see, that lamb had no righteousness that could be counted to you. What's a lamb ever done to gain righteousness before God? (laughs) Nothing, right? It it symbolizes a pure and perfect uh, life in the place of someone else's, but it's got no righteousness that can be counted towards you, unlike what Jesus does. He actually has righteousness through His perfect life that is counted to your credit if you have faith in Him. I wanna, I've got to put these two slides up uh, that I think that will help us with it. Okay, so this is the first bit, and I think this is the bit we understand quite well, is Jesus pays for our sins. So that's you there on the left with all your red marks against you. You're in the depth. And what Jesus does by His death on the cross is He pays for that sin and He makes us pure. His blood washes us clean. But there's more to it than that. Okay, Jesus' righteousness is also credited to us or counted to us. There us before or after we trust in Jesus and Jesus' righteousness is then counted to us. So God doesn't just take us out of the red, but He puts us eternally and in a magnificent way into the black through Jesus' righteousness as it's credited to us or counted to us. So God doesn't simply see us as sinless and neutral, as if, as if, um, but as if we did all the righteous things Jesus did. You know, think of what God said to Jesus. God said of Jesus, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And that's what he now says of you if you trust in Jesus. You're not simply a sinless child like the picture on the left. No, you are a beloved child, like the person on the right, like one that has been completely and utterly pleasing to God as you are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. So justification is about having your debt paid for, um, and it's also about, by Jesus, and it's also having Jesus' righteousness counted to you. But there's one final little aspect in our passage to look at, in verse 25. Have a look at verse 25. This talks about Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Now, the obvious word that you need to understand there to grasp this sentence is propitiation, isn't it? So what is it? Well, propitiation is a sacrifice to turn away anger, or wrath as it's often called in the Bible. Some translations say a sacrifice of atonement. The point is, At the cross, Jesus faced God's anger toward our sin so that we don't have to. Now, why is God so angry, you might say? I don't like a God that's angry. Well, it's because all our wrongs are personal wrongs toward Him. Think about it like this. God is not like a police officer. I don't know if you've been pulled over by the coppers, but when a copper pulls you over and he gives you a ticket, they're not generally angry, are they? You know, you broke a government law and it's his job to pull you up on it and write you a ticket. There you go, off you go, bye. It's nothing personal, but it's not the case with God. But you see, because when we're unloving to people, we're being unloving to people who are in God's image, who he brought forth like a mother brings forth children. 
when we give credit to things that God alone has given us and blessed us with or saved us from, well, it's personal, isn't it? And when we disregard His plans for His world and we are destroying what He intended to be glorious and beautiful and life-giving, well, it's personal. So yes, it's personal. And God is angry, and rightly so. But on the cross, Jesus absorbed God's anger toward us, us sinners. And those who receive Jesus' sacrifice by faith, well, they're at peace with God. And that's great to know if you're a Christian. I was thinking of leaving this bit out, but I think it's got so many implications for us. God's not angry with you if you're a Christian. So even if life is difficult and maybe you feel, oh, God's angry at me. He must be punishing me for something. Well, come to the scriptures and see that God cannot be angry with you because because Jesus has taken away all of God's anger God put him forward as a propitiation in your place. He's not angry at you. He's not punishing you. Jesus dealt with God's righteous anger on the cross. And none of it is coming your way. Okay? He's smiling upon you as a beloved child who's dearly pleasing to him. Let that that truth transform you as you walk with God through difficult times. And another way this truth Uh, should transform us, is in our repentance. And we looked at repentance last week, and and in some way it comes before justification, repentance and faith. Justification is is as a result of repentance. Uh, But we, we also saw that repentance is a thing we do all the time, as we turn from things and and serve and trust God. And even though, um, yeah, that's the case, that faith comes first, we keep repenting, But we keep turning to God and we keep confessing our sin. That's part of the Christian life. Now, confessing sin to God and each other is not easy, is it? It's a very hard thing to do. But I wonder if it should be easier if we understand this truth. You see, because if we know that God is not angry with us and Jesus has already dealt with all of God's anger and punishment of our sin... Well, why should we be hesitant to turn to him? There's nothing to fear. Let me give you an example uh, of at our house. Often at our house, we have big bangs in our house that's then followed by um, like kind of a, a moment of silence and then a very loud, ah, uncontrollable crying. Okay, and then you think, what's happened this time? And you rush, where's the noise coming from? Run there. And, uh, you know, one of the kids, often it's poor little Leo, is bawling his eyes out, you know, and Max is standing there. You're like, Max, what have you done? Why is your brother crying again? And, you know, he'll often come to me quite scared and like, he looks like, um, you know, that cat, uh, the Puss in Boots on, on Shrek, you know, and he's got the cute eyes and he's like, Dad, Dad. He'll say to me, will you be angry with me? And I have to control myself and I say, I promise I won't be angry, but there will be consequences. And often if I say that, he'll tell me, oh, you see that big stick I hit under the the couch? I, I used it to hit Leo on the head or whatever it may be. Okay? Now you see, when Max knows that I'm not going to lash out on him in anger, he's quite happy to confess his sins, even though there are consequences. 
Now, how much more, friends, for us as Christians who have God, who's not angry at us. Jesus dealt with the anger. And more than that, he has dealt with all the consequences already. Surely we should be turning to him all the time. We should be repentant people. It should be easy for us because it's all been dealt with. He won't lash out and there are no eternal consequences. That's the second point. And I'll quickly show, show you the third and last one, which is very brief. This is the last thing we've got to see about justification, that God is just to justify the unjust. What we have to understand with the truth of justification is that God is in never in any way acts in an unjust way to justify the unjust. We could think that God is unfair to save sinners like us, as we've seen today, but he's not. He's completely just and fair and, and true in his work of justification. Have a look there at the second half of verse 25. This, what we've just looked at, this was to show God's righteousness. So it's not unrighteousness what he's done, it's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness also at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, there were past sins that God had not punished. And people might have looked back at that as you look through the Old Testament and think, why did God not punish that? That guy just lied and he's one of God's people. Well, it's because God knew that Jesus will one day be punished for them. So God wasn't unjust and simply pretended, oh, it's Abraham, um, I'll just pretend that never happened. No, the punishment was simply delayed and, was, and he was punished. Jesus took the punishment in their place. And, and, and in the present, God is completely just to declare sinners righteous and unjust people just and the guilty innocent. And of course, he doesn't do this to everyone, but to those who have faith in Jesus redemptive and propitiatory death on the cross. You see, God didn't simply sweep all of our sins under the rug and go, oh, guys, hey, let's just, you guys are all innocent, not guilty, just so let's just move on from this really awkward moment. No, he didn't do that. Instead, God punished every sin in Jesus on the cross and he poured out all of his wrath towards our sin on him. And he is satisfied that sin has been dealt with in a righteous manner in the same way that we expect of our courts to do. So he's not unjust. He is just in justifying the unjust. Some people might even say this. This seems to be a bit more of a modern thing. But people say God is unjust to punish Jesus for my sin. You know, so, so God, ha you know, there's God and there's me and we've got a problem because I've sinned. And then he takes his anger out, not on me, on this poor guy over here, this third party, Jesus. Poor Jesus. That's not fair. That's unjust. And you know what? It wouldn't be fair if Jesus was a third party. But he's not a third party. <laughs> he's in this already because he's part of the triune God. He's the second member of the Trinity, God the Son. And so when Jesus deals with our sin and its consequences, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is jointly dealing with with our sin within the Trinity. Jesus is the one that pays for it and dies for it in our place, but it's a collective effort. Just like all forgiveness is costly, so it was costly 
to the triune God. And that cost was paid by the Son and born by the Trinity. And it's completely just. Now let me finish like this. So th- this is what we saw about justification. All people need justification from God. God offers that justification to all people through Jesus as we trust in Him. And God is just to justify the unjust. Let me finish like this. The truth of justification we've looked at this morning is for all people. You have to remember that. In our natural condition, we cannot live just lives to please our Creator God. And that means everyone in this room needs justification, even the people sitting in their rooms watching this online. It means that everyone uh, at your school, at your uni, at your work, at your sports club, needs God's justification. Uh, um, Everyone in your suburb, everyone in the twin cities of Armadale and Gosnells and beyond need God to justify them. And so the great news is that God actually wants to justify them. He's done everything to justify them. We just need to get the good news of Jesus out to them. The good news of Jesus' redeeming and wrath-satisfying death. We need to get it out to anyone and everyone so that they might believe. They desperately need it because one day they're going to stand before God. And we do this, and this is key, with humility. We don't do it with pride because we have not earned our salvation. We have received it by grace in Jesus. We haven't contributed anything to it. So there should be no pride in us, only praise and thanksgiving. What a good and just God we have. That he He doesn't overlook wrongs, but He dealt with it rightly in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, you are just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. Thank you so much for that good news because we are rotten to the core and unable to justify ourselves. We try, we do, as we've heard from those two people from Melbourne. We always come up with reasons why our wrongs shouldn't be counted as wrongs, but really as as right things, but that won't hold before you. There's no good reason for us to do wrong things, no matter our circumstances or our context. And so help us to humble ourselves before you today and acknowledge our sins and our wrongs and especially just stand in awe again of your grace to us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can come to you, turn to you again and again and again, knowing that our sins have been dealt with, the punishment has been paid, And that there is no anger towards us, only love and kindness and acceptance. Father, you are so good. You are so kind. Help us to turn to you more and more. And Lord, may our work bear fruit as we share this good news with the lost around us who all need this. May we look at every single person that we come in contact with and know that they need the good news of Jesus. There is none that don't need it. And may we... May we, um, with boldness and confidence, go and proclaim this good news to people. And be with us as we do that, Lord, that many might come to know your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ and stand before you guiltless and innocent one day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.